Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We are starting a new sermon series today called Broken Heroes. And it's from the book of Judges. This time in Israel's history was before Israel had a king, but after Joshua and Moses had led them into the promised land. So there's an in-between period and it was a time of turmoil, sin, messing up again and again. There's a cycle of sin, God restoring them and, and rescuing them. Then they're happy and then they sin and they get restored. And it's just a cycle that goes on and on. And the judges are an example of God using heroes because they really were heroes, but they were broken men and women. Deborah, Samson, Gideon, Jephthah. All of these heroes, these judges, we're going to look at them over the next few weeks. And today we're looking at the first one and his name is Ehud. Ehud, it sounds like a strange name, uh, although in this modern day and age, no name seems, sounds strange to me anymore. Uh, it's just amazing. But let's, let's read. So we're going to read starting from verse 12 of Judges chapter 3. And it should come up on your screen. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. That's a long time to be in slavery and subjugation. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. There's a strange little um, device going on in that verse. God raises up a deliverer, yay, hero. But actually, he's a left-handed man and he's a Benjamite. So let me just explain to you. Benjamite, the, the name Benjamin means son of my right hand. In Israel, the right hand was important. The, the, the blessing comes from the right hand. The most important person sits at the right hand of the master. Um, Benjamin was called son of my right hand. That was the name of the tribe. And now there's a man from the tribe of Benjamin who's left-handed. And actually, the Hebrew word there isn't left-handed. It says he was damaged in his right hand. That's the, the actual translation of the Hebrew words. So, yay, deliverer. Oh, but he's a left-handed guy. Listen, I'm not against left-handed people. 10% of you are left-handed at least. But at this day and age, it was not seen as a positive. Oh, he's a deliverer, but he's left. And then it goes on to say... By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So his only task was to take the taxes that this opposing, oppressing king demanded. Ehud's job was to take the taxes and give it to him. He was an administrative person who just was, was serving the king of Moab, this, this Eglon, this oppressor. 
Deliverer! Oh, but he's left-handed. Oh, all his job is is just an admin task. Okay, give me your stuff. I'll go give it to the king. He was, he was a meek little man, and he was seen as being less than because he was left-handed. Now, Ehud, sorry, before I go on, I need to give you a warning. There is some gory detail about to come up in this story. Really horrible stuff. And you'll see it in all of the stories in the book of Judges. There is gory detail. There are people being stabbed. There is blood coming out. There is guts and horrible stories. And you may say, why is this in the Bible? Number one, it's in the Bible because it's true. It actually happened. Number two, and this is very, very important. The Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament. We're told that in Colossians chapter 2, that everything in the Old Testament is a shadow, but then the technicolor, bright light, full version is the New Testament. A shadow is a dark outline that allows you to see just the shape and get a rough idea, but the technicolor is in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there was evil, there were demonic forces, there were things happening that God was not happy with, but please hear me now, the cure for that evil, which is Jesus dying on the cross and kicking the devil out and overcoming the demons, that had not come yet. And so in the New Testament, we're told we don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't stab people. 2 Corinthians 10 says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or earthly, but they're mighty for pulling down arguments, taking thoughts captive. Everything that opposes the knowledge of God. It's a different warfare. In Ephesians 6, it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. But in the Old Testament, they couldn't wrestle the spiritual forces because Jesus hadn't died and kicked the devil out yet. And so, when there's an evil king who's hurting and killing God's people, there is no way to pray the king out, to preach the king out, to... Um, to get God's spiritual power to get the king out, you have to stab him. But in the New Testament, we don't have to stab. Our weapons are mighty for pulling down strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10 says. And so when you see a picture of someone getting stabbed in the Old Testament, that doesn't mean go out and stab your boss. Hey, amen. It means pray for your boss or preach to your boss. Or agree with a Christian on how you're going to establish God's kingdom in your workplace. Or whoever the enemy is. I, I don't want to say bosses are the enemy, but you know what I mean. Right. Here we go. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length. That's about a foot long. Double-edged sword. What's the New Testament equivalent of a double-edged sword? The Word of God, Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to dividing soul and spirit. So when I'm about to read something gory to you, imagine for dagger, Word of God, and for Eglon's guts coming out, imagine dividing between soul and spirit. Is that okay? I feel like I have to give this a, an age restriction because of what I'm about to read. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length. And he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Now that's important. 
because most people were right-handed, which means they fastened their sword to their left thigh. He was left-handed, so he fastened it to his right thigh. So he brought the tribute or the tax to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade and the fat closed in over the blade for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly and his entrails came out. Oops. Praise the Lord. <laughs> then Ehud went out through the porch, shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. He, he's going to the loo, that's what they said. So they waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sirah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains and he led them. Then he said to them, follow me for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. 80 years. My first point is that the cycle of sin, subjugation, crying out to the Lord and rescue, and then we get complacent and we sin and subjugation and crying out to the Lord and rescue, that cycle in the Old Testament could not be fixed. But in the New Testament, we can break the cycle. You know, in the Old Testament, they went round and round the mountain again and again. And God never intended the Israelites to wander in the desert for 40 years. But because they wouldn't learn the lessons, they just kept wandering around. And then they went into the promised land and they kept not learning the lessons and failing again and again. And then he gave them a king and the kings kept failing again and again. There were a few exceptions of bright lights amongst the kings, but most of them failed. But when Jesus came, the cycle can be broken. I want to say to you, friend, you may have been living in a cycle and you've just lost all hope. You're despairing. I keep failing. I keep sinning. I keep falling again. People keep treating me the same way. I go from job to job and it's always the same problem that I keep having. 
And I want to say to you that the message of this sermon series is that God can break through. And you might say, it's all about me. I have to be the perfect hero to get free. The message of this series is God uses broken people. But in Christ, we can break free. The cycle does not need to dominate you. That sin does not need to dominate you. That habit, those thought patterns, those responses, that sadness, whatever it is, it does not need to dominate you. You can break free. And it may be that you just need to raise your eyes today and say there is hope. And that's enough for God to start breaking through. You know, when God spoke to Ehud and said, I want to use you to set the people free. Ehud would have said, I'm a left-handed man in a tribe called son of my right hand. I'm, a, I'm an administrative nerd who takes the tax. I'm not a hero. My people have been subjected to slavery for 18 years. We are in a pattern of slavery. But God said, get a dagger. Put it on your right side so that when they search you, they don't find it. Because I can use your weakness to destroy the enemy. Whatever situation you find yourself in, you say, this is a, an unusual situation. It, it's unique. No one else has, has broken free from this. I want to say to you, you can. God can use any situation. Even a weird left-handed man who's taking tax, he can give you a clever strategy and God can use you to break into the enemy's power in your life and in lives of people around you. That's the other thing is God is often looking for a leader. In the book of Judges, again and again, he chose a leader who then galvanized the people and they started to hope again. And we're going to see these leaders were reluctant, were confused, were broken people, but it's often a leader that God wants and you could be the leader. You say, I'm not a leader. I'm not a prime minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader. Wherever you are, you can be a leader, even if it's just in your little family structure or even... And this is something that I felt like the Lord told me to tell you. Even if it's just learning to lead yourself. Because within yourself, you have emotions that rebel. You have thoughts that rebel against God. You have habits that rebel. You have things in your life that you can't control. And God says, I want to teach you just to lead yourself. To get the power of God in you. To be able to say emotions, habits, ways of acting that does not have to dominate me anymore and so being a leader is what god is calling us to do right my next point is just how the new testament is different i'm going to read to you from hebrews chapter 11. not all the verses just a couple of them to show you a New Testament perspective on this. So in verse 32, Hebrews 11 is a, a chapter of telling all the heroes of the Old Testament. And in verse 32 it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. He's talking about the judges, the period we're looking at. He says, I don't have time to go into all of those guys. 
But he says, through faith they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of sword, and now listen to this next phrase, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And then he goes on to describe some more of the things they did, but then in verse 39 he says and all of these having obtained a good testimony through faith the fact that we're reading about them today means they did get a good story of how great God is they obtained a testimony through faith but listen to this but they did not receive the promise the power of Jesus which we have God having provided something better for us the New Testament Christians that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And so what I'm wanting to close with today is to say don't read the book of Judges and think that the rules that apply to them apply to you. We have better power, better rules. And so I want to, in each series, in each sermon in this series, I want to take a New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament hero and show you how with God's power it's different. So we have Ehud, the left-handed excluded administrative nerd guy in the Old Testament. Who is the New Testament equivalent? There's probably many, but I've chosen a man called Simon. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. And they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Let me read that again. They compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. What's, this hap what's happening here? There's a man called Simon from Cyrene, which is in Africa. He's a foreigner. He's traveled 800 miles at least to be in Jerusalem. He believes in God, but he is of a different race. He is a, a, an African man, and he's in Jerusalem. He happens to be walking along the street when the Romans are forcing Jesus to carry his cross up the hill. And Jesus is very weak from no food, no drink, no sleep, and being beaten so much that he needs help carrying his cross up the hill. And they grab this man, Simon, a, a foreigner. He's, he doesn't have the rights of a, of a Jew or of a Roman. He has no rights in this place. They grab him and they say, you will carry this cross up this hill. He's like Ehud. He's being forced to do something he doesn't want to do. He has weaknesses and he's an excluded person. And it looks like a place of weakness, but he carries the cross. Why am I mentioning him? Because it says he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. And when the Bible mentions a person's name, there's a reason for it. It's because Alexander and Rufus were famous in the Christian church. When Paul wrote this uh, letter a little bit later, Romans 16 verse 13, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. 28 years later, Paul writes to Rome, and he says, Greet Rufus. And people Im immediately remember Rufus, 
Simon, the, the man from Africa who carried the cross. He was the father of Rufus and Alexander who became pillars in the church. And not just them, Paul says Rufus's mother is like my own mother. Friends, I wanted to show you that in Christ, the weakness and the subjugation that the world and the devil would put on us, if we turn it for good, if we say, Lord, show me your plan in this situation. Lord, what is your dagger? What is your word saying for me? What is your word to me in this situation? I'm under oppression. I've got struggles financially. I've got people against me. I'm, I'm in a, a terrible work situation, a family problem, whatever it is. Lord, what is your word for me in this situation? And God said to Simon, the Cyrenian, stay here believe in Jesus, become part of the church and build my kingdom. And his wife and his sons became pillars of the church who moved to Rome as missionaries to help build a church there. And Paul the apostle says, Rufus, you're like my brother and your mother is like my own mother because Simon the Cyrenian was like Ehud, but he took God's power. He broke the cycle of slavery and he said, I'm going to turn this for good. And God used him. Powerfully. Friend, God has a plan for you and me. It doesn't matter what your situation is. You can be a broken person, but God can turn it for good. You can take the dagger of God's word, but we must be reading God's word, but you can take it and apply it to your situation. You say, I'm unique. No one else is like me. No one else has these challenges. No one else knows what I'm going through. God says, I know. You say, but I'm left-handed. I'm the weird one. I've got a damaged right hand and I can't do what other people do. And I, I'm just a, a person who takes the tribute to the enemy. God says, I can use you. I'll give you a strategy. Tony told me today that yesterday the rain came down while he was playing tennis. He's been playing tennis with these same group of people for years and trying to witness to them. And usually they just don't want to hear about Christ. And yesterday the rain stopped play and they were sitting in their tennis lounge and one of them said, tell us about God, Tony. And for 45 minutes he preached the gospel to them. <laughs> you see, it's not Sunday church time when we are extending the kingdom of God. This is when we come back together and get our batteries recharged, but it's out there on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, in the evening, in the workplace, in the gym, in the sports place. That's where we get the dagger out and people aren't expecting it and we drive it home and people get saved and the kingdom of God grows. And I'm going to ask you to say, Lord, how can I be like Ehud? How can I extend the kingdom where I am? Lord, what is your word that is unique for me? Not trying to take somebody else's dagger. Lord, what have you said to me and how can I extend your kingdom where I am? You may be a mum and you say, I just cook meals and drive my kids around. Ask the Lord. He has a plan for you, a dagger that you can use that people would be so surprised by. How did you manage that? God can use you wherever you are. So let's pray together. Lord God, help us today. God, you've said if we call out to you, you will speak to us and show us things that we did not know. And so we pray, give us inspiration, insight, um, excitement, Lord, to know the opportunities that you've given us 
to extend your kingdom where we are. And help us, Lord, to throw off the lie that would say that we are unqualified and unable and it doesn't apply to us. I pray, Lord, for many ehuds to grow up in our midst. I pray for your kingdom to grow exponentially, mightily, because the little excluded, ignored people rise up and start to extend your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.